Welcome to this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast, The Wire Remix episode, Season 2, Episode 7, Backwash. As always, I'm joined by one, Robert Sapp. How you doing, Mr. Sapp? Doing very well. Doing very well. How are you? Hanging in there. Hanging in there. Um, of course, are uh, on Episode 7 of Season 2, Backwash as we look at the fallout of the D'Angelo-Barksdale murder. Um, and we, uh, some, and some lot of, definitely some moving pieces in this episode. This episode is directed by Thomas J. Wright. It ranks 51st all time by Vulture. And uh, we'll know the definition of backwash. It is a backward flow uh, or movement consequences and aftermath um so certainly a lot of consequences um in some consequences in this episode the epigraph was by one horseface who has an all-time great wire nickname horseface has to be top top five nicknames in wire history don't worry kid you're on the clock um themes of this episode i had two that jumped out uh consequences and payoffs those are my themes of those were my my themes of this episode i'll expand on that as we go through the episode we begin though with the opening scene where you have bodie going to pick up the flower arrangements uh funeral arrangements for one d'angelo barksdale he goes in explains to the to the shop to you know to the guy working at the shop i don't know the somewhat the dynamic of their relationship then the guy pick, picks up on you know on what type of world and what type of life that both bodie and d'angelo uh are connected to and d'angelo's case were connected to and immediately uh takes him in the back where he has uh you know a bunch of uh you know, flowers that in, in arrangements that were, you know, that had guns and uh, things of that nature. And immediately, and immediately, it didn't, did not take long for the guy to pick up on <laughs> the type of work or the type of, uh, the type of uh, work that D'Angelo and that um, the type of life that D'Angelo and, and Bodie were both involved in. Um, Bodie, of course, we know didn't have the greatest relationship with D'Angelo, but still says, "Hey, when you you know when you stand when you stand next to next to somebody, you either stand with them or you ain't shit yourself." This was after the guy tried to give him, you know, said that you know tried to give him a pink arrangement that was pink and said jokingly and jokingly said, "What your man was too fierce for the pink," and uh, we see D'Angelo get the two two one towers um, in red and black. And uh, really, at the end of the, I think the, the end of the scene when he, when the guy asked him how he felt about D'Angelo and did he want to add a note to the arrangement, um, D'Angelo, you know, had no words and it was just like, "Fuck it, let me, you know, let me just pay for this and, and get up and get out of here." And that's how the, the episode, not the episode, but the scene concluded. Very strong opening scene, uh, following, of course, the D'Angelo murder. What were your thoughts? Yeah, uh, the, I mean, the scene scene was 
scene was low key heartbreaking, man, to watch to like watch it. I mean, like I remember it. I remember I remember the scene. I remember it every time I see it. Um, and I think I have a similar reaction pretty much every single time. Um, where it's just like uh, the the I mean like it's it's in the wake of everything that's happened, but just kind of like the heartbreaking part of it to me is just like when my man is like uh, was like, so you want to give your man a tower, like a housing project to represent him? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And. Uh, the heartbreaking part of it is just that you know that like he doesn't know anything else. So yeah, of course, that that was the sum total of their lives together, um, which is which is which is just devastatingly sad um, to me. So uh, so really good scene, really good opening scene, um, very much classic wire in, in that aspect, but um, also just like a real melancholy scene. Um, what was totally apropos for, for what it was coming after. Yeah, um, two things that jumped out to me. Number one, of course, and this is something that you've been on, was the fact that Bodhi was the one to pick up the arrangement, signifying Stringer's rise and ascension to power. And the fact, and also the, just the idea that, you know, you go to a funeral arrangement place, a place like that, and you see a whole section that's for, like, gang violence or just representing that type of uh, lifestyle like he had a whole section <laughs> like half his half his store represented was you know it's meaning that it was normal in that, in that you know that area in, in that part of the town so that that those two things jumped out to me in regards to that scene um bulk landsman and russell they're discussing the case um Bunk tells uh, Bunk tells uh, Landsman that they've cloned the, that they have cloned the computer. Landsman, uh, of course, has no interest in this because even going back to season one, they're not doing the level of police work that they're doing in major crimes unit in terms of how tedious and how detailed it is. So, uh, Landsman again has no interest in the fact that they're cloning computers and and, and wanting to go. All, go through all these steps. He wants, as you know, most of these big wigs and guys in, in, in Lansing position, Rawls included, they want quick and easy results. And of course, that is not going to be the case. We're trying to try to solve and clear 14 murders. So he kind of, you know, shuns that that you know that that information aside and then inquires if Daniels would be willing to take the 14 murders. Remember, at this point, Daniels has not taken the murders as of yet. And Bunk basically says, you know, he's not a fool. He retorts that, you know, he's not a fool, Jay. Um, what were your thoughts on this scene? Yeah, I mean, like, so, like something you said just kind of like struck me for like the first time. And like, I, I absolutely uh, agree that that's, what the show is trying to say in terms of uh in terms of why um why uh Landsman and Rawls and them react the way that they do to to investigations. 
Um, so on, on, so on one end, like I, I wholly recognize that that's, that's absolutely what the show was saying. But also another thing occurred to me as you were talking is just like, you know, how comfortable, like, like we get in terms of like our systems, like just, just things that, that work. Why? Because that's just the way that we've done them. Um, and so, uh, yeah, Landsman and Rawls and them have no patience for anything new. But, um, you know, it's also the fact that it's something super new to them. Um, and so uh, it just, it just as you were talking, it to me as to how tough change is for people, no matter if it can look, look enticing or not the, the first time. Anyways. Yeah, that, I, yeah, I cannot, cannot help to think about a epigraph in season three where the one of the characters says, "You gr- we grind, you chase us, why you want to go fuck up the program? I, that, that immediately came to mind. And we'll certainly we'll get to that in season three. But yeah, these are systems and routines that have been going on for years upon years yep. to the point. And, you know, Everybody, nobody, no one likes, no one wants change or likes change from that standpoint. Um, Frog and Nick, Frog, of course, is, is of course, a street dealer uh, that's working Nick's package. They're discussing the package, and Nick Sabaka immediately strips this guy down as far as who he really is. Um, He clearly had a relationship with the dude growing up as he called him out, basically saying, you know, let him know that hey, look, dude, you're white, just like the other piss ants that went to went to a Catholic school, and then he breaks, you know, breaks down. You know, I'm basically local, local, Locust Point Union white. Um, tells him what he expects as far as him paying Zig, and mentions, you know, if you do this, then you can, you know, continue to work the package. Frog then, of course, talks about how good the package is in terms of the, how good the drugs are. Of course, we know the drugs coming from the Greeks, and they're getting that which will be something that um, will be mentioned throughout the course of this episode, the quality of the drugs and how pure they are. Uh, so you have basically have one character stripping down the other for basically who he really is. Like, dude, cut the bullshit. I know you. Let's, now let's really talk business. What were your thoughts? Yes. Um, I really, really like this scene for a lot of different reasons. So first of all, what I took from Nick was that that's false bravado. That's, that's what that was. Um, you're, he's playing in a game. He has no idea what to do. Um, and so that's, that's, that's one aspect of it. And then the second one is, um, is uh, I love the way that they shot the scene of Nick and Homeboy in the drug traffic going through that neighborhood because it's super reminiscent of, uh, it's not even reminiscent because it's coming up later on. They'll, they'll come back to this visual in, in a later season um, when there's a lot of people of color that, that are around it. Anyways, so I, I love it for all the reasons that I adore this season um and and it's the it's the idea that you know that this drug game is not inherently uh only 
only in black and brown neighborhoods, but it is it is absolutely and can be in any neighborhood based off of how desperate the the person the person is. And so that that's why that's why I say what Nick is doing is bravado, because he's not doing this because he wants to do it or this is a sense of accomplishment for him to do it. He's doing this because um, you know, he's he needs money. He's in he's in desperate in desperate straits in terms of just like what he needs and what what he deems he needs for his uh for his family. Um so you got that that's going on right there. And then um and then also um I I think what what I also really notice about um about Nick and the predicament that he's in is um is uh that that uh you know, um, it's it's funny how dismissive he was of drugs when it was Ziggy that was that was making the the announcement. But uh, if you look, if you take a look at Nick's face just a little bit right before he sees the older woman in the in the walkway and then gets a little bit of embarrassed and of shame, um, there's a sense of uh, pride is probably too strong a word, but oh, he was, himself. He was, no, he was definitely was feeling himself. Oh, yeah. Feeling he himself. Probably, he, he, himself thought he, was like a, he looked yeah. like a, a mini kingpin. He felt like in, a, in his head. No question. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, so it's just, it's funny how you can have all these contradictory um, parts of of yourself because at the same time as he is being really, really dismissive of anybody else who's who's doing it at the at the same time he's he's finding some sense of uh, of accomplishment at, at the same time. So anyways, he's he's dabbing into that is false bravado, much like Sabaka. And um and uh and um false uh yeah false false bravado is probably the best way to 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 describe all of it. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that the older lady because I think now we don't know any knowledge of this. We can't prove this, but there's a possibility that she could have saw she saw Nick when he was growing up. So the way he reacted to her, who knows that she could have been, it could have been like, you know, I remember you when you was little, when you was 10 years old running around here, you wasn't, you wasn't about that life. Uh-huh. So it was funny how he strips frog, how he stripped frog down. And then almost, you know, within two minutes later, she basically by looking at him strips him down for what he really yep. is. Yep. Um, speaking of frost bravado, um, we have the DC Connect who facilitated this D'Angelo's murder, and of course Stringer Bell. Um, they're discussing D'Angelo's murder. The contact basically asks, you know, basically makes finds out through uh, Stringer that Avon had nothing, didn't know anything about this. Stringer, of course, warns him that you know none of this better get up, better get up in Avon's ear. He, he says, you know, all y'all Baltimore. Uh, Niggas is off the hook, all y'all. Um, 
and you have that scene before we um, go to uh, Avon and Weebay. What were your thoughts on this scene? Yeah, this is, this is the official announcement that Stringer is is on his own and is is the de facto boss. Now, this this the this is the very much public official announcement. They have been. I mean, we talked about it a lot. They have been announcing it in a variety of different ways, undercover, e. Um, but this this is the official announcement. He 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 essentially says it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I have something on Stringer later on when we when he meets with Avon. Uh, I'll get to um, Avon. We be in prison. Uh, we be of course. Is, this is kind of like a reverse where, you know, in the past, we saw Avon eating the chicken and saying, you know, trying to, trying to, uh, you know, help Weebay get through his tough times. Now you see this, you know, you see, you see them on, you see the flip side. You see, of course, Avon is distraught over the Angelo's uh, suicide or a, a suicide to him, apparent, apparent suicide to him. And Weebay is trying to console him. Avon mentions that um, Weebay mentions that it could have been could have been for the best, cause, considering that he almost rolled on him in season one. Um, Avon, uh, of course, gets angry and basically says, "You know, fuck D'Angelo. He was weak. I tried to carry him along all these years. Uh, he knew that we was gonna be in a moment just like this when he did this shit. He did this shit to hurt me." Um, and throughout this scene, I thought Avon was really trying hard to convince himself that he wasn't somewhat responsible when re in reality he was. I think he believes that he was, but I think he was trying real hard to convince himself that he had no culpability in D'Angelo's uh, death. What were your thoughts? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, it's, it's definitely a reflective scene um, where, you know, there there aren't too many times we get a, to, a chance to see Avon, like, reflect on, like, the consequences of his actions. And so, um, you know, they, they, there's a part of it that is that, is, that, is that seeing Avon reflect. But on a on a very macro level, you're 100 accurate. It's more important that Avon says to himself, and he hears from his peoples that it wasn't his fault, even though he knows it's his fault. No question about it. Um, Herc and Carver they go to the police store to purchase the bug uh, bug device. Um, Carver leaves his credit card. Um, the device was like twelve hundred and fifty with the policeman's discount. Uh, mainly, a, a definitely a setup for what what would transpire. Quick, quick scene. Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, setup. Exactly. Rawls, Daniels, Landsman. Uh, Rawls tries to convince Daniels to take the murders and roll the cases. Uh, you know, merge the two cases. Daniels flats out. Flats out flat out refuses to and basically and gives the reason why he uh he's going he refuses it refuses it um again daniel's showing you know that you know he's of course he's no fool and of course he 
he knows how these big how how the big bosses are thinking. Um, what are your thoughts on this scene? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's I think it's interesting to like really think about what like what Daniels is doing here because he isn't a fool. We can all agree, but we all know where this is going. So I think now is as good as time as any as to analyze why he did it. Um, and uh, so I think at the beginning parts of here is where um, is where we start to get a sense of that moral compass that uh, that um, Daniels Daniels has and will have, and there'll be one specific key phrase when we get there that is said to him that I think uh, really really uh, outlines outlines this. To Daniels, this isn't about uh, career moves. Never has been, um, and so that I think that's that's important to to analyze in this because again. We we all agree Daniels is not foolish, but we all know what happens. Right, right. Why does it happen? Yeah, we'll we'll talk about that when when it does happen. Um, yeah, yeah. Frank and B. Russell. Um, Russell, of course, goes down to the docks, and at the behest of one, you know, of Bunk. When they earlier in the episode they just discussed the strategy in terms of how they were gonna go their approach to to the case besides the cloning of the computers, um, Bunk told Russell that we need to make sure we need to convince them that we're going that that we're going away, that we have you know that we've lost interest in the case. So Russell goes down to the docks, tells Sabaka that they kind of that they're you know that they really don't have any anything and they're you know going to be going. You know, basically, or in many, in a sense, backing off the case, backing off, um, and uh, Sabaka looked looked convinced to me, um, looked convinced. Uh, so now, you know, they've kind of got them in a got them in a position where maybe they let their guard down enough for the, the detail to proceed with the uh, investigation. Quick scene. Uh, what were your thoughts on this scene? Yeah, I, I can't remember if we're missing something right now, to be honest with you, missing another scene. But this this goes to what we were talking about, mm, probably not last week, the week before that. No, maybe it was last week, because that's, that's when we got, we were talking about, like, all the, like, the boredom stuff that was, that was going in. But now this is where all of everybody's work is, like, really, really coming to fruition, right? Paying attention to the... Uh, to the um, how how that goes, um, uh, making sure that they they were fairly exhaustive in in their searches for everything. So like all those rules that we know about the investigation um, is is now starting to uh, to really um, pay off uh, because um, because. But like now that now that all the rules are being set, now we know how it's going to get played, and specifically, um, it's 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 
it's all in on um, the investigative part of all of this. Um, and uh, a big part of being all in is that now, in order for them just to watch what, um, just to watch what is going on, they need to now pretend like they were never there. Right. So you have quick scene with Herc and Carver putting the bug in the tennis ball. Again, it's a setup for what's going to transpire in another scene. Um, Bunk, Freeman, Russell, and Russell are in the back of the headquarters. And Freeman is, you know, looking at the computer and he's telling Bunk, you know, Bunk is discussing, you know, talking about going to the bar, talking about how bored, talking about how bored he is. And Freeman says, clear, clear as day, nothing is wasted. Yeah. And Freeman, I was thinking about this before, before this podcast in regards to Freeman. Freeman is, you hear this phrase a lot of athletes use about the process and trusting the process and falling in love with the process. Freeman is absolutely in love with the process of policing, of detection, um, which makes him, you know, who he is. I mean, he is absolutely, the work, the stuff that like, the average cop looks at being tedious and boredom. That's that's that is absolutely his wheelhouse. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, definitely as stated on definitely as stated on this show. Like it, it absolutely is. Um. Uh, I think again, there's a, there's a method to the madness. Um. And I think that that method is that, uh, that, um, you know, like they're really trying to show. And so they're really trying to show investigations are hard. Right. Like this is hard, hard stuff. And not a lot of people have the, not, not even the intelligence, just, just the disposition the of discipline. doing it. And, yeah. so, and somebody who is as respected a character as Bunk on this show at this given time doesn't seem to have the disposition right. for, for a long drawn out investigation. So again, you see how the Barksdale crew just didn't, that this is not part of policing. And you see how the wharf and the Greek, everybody will react. This is not part of policing. And so, um, in elevating Freeman and showing us that of Freeman, um, what they do, to your point, um, that this is the part that he loves, it actually also shows how many uh, police officers in this world or in this, in this viewpoint don't find value in that. And therefore, you don't have a lot of these investigative units, which then will blend nicely into why Daniels is so smart. Right. And speaking to, to our point earlier about the systems and about people not wanting to stray away from their systems, like Bunk, Bunk is a good cop, but he does have his own system and way of doing things as far as investigations. And he this, well, is not, this, goes, out, this goes outside of his own system. So if we're going to give Bunk that, that 
uh, grace, then we got to give Landsman, we got to give Rawls that grace because they create Raw. That's their system that he's working under, that he's used to. The right. whole the whole point of it is that the system is beholden to itself. Like right. there's a way that cases have worked at homicide, and that's what Bunk is used to. That's what Landsman is used to. Rawls is used to. No, no question. There's a way in which cases have worked, which is counter to the way in which um, they're running the investigative unit. You have uh, Frank and Nat, they go to a meeting um, about the future of the company, about you know robots basically taking over and modernizing you know, the, the stevedore, the technology on the docks is gonna, you know, it definitely explains how you know, they're gonna be a, there's, they're gonna be a loss of jobs. Um, you see, you know, Frank sees the future flash right before his eyes. And of course it's not pretty if you're a working stevedore or checker, because you know, chances are, no, there's not chances are, you're gonna be, you're gonna be out of a job and um, come, to, come in the near future. So he and Nat see this meeting and you know, the guy who's running the meeting is talking like, hey, we're gonna be efficient. Um, these guys, robots and technology are gonna be doing the job. They're, they're, they're gonna be, uh, they're gonna be less, it's gonna be less risk for the stevedores. But you know, the stevedores are not trying to hear that. They, they'd rather, you know, get hurt and be working, which, you know, foreshadowing what's gonna come up in this episode, then of course to not have a job at all. Uh, this is again a clear example of the future going the future of what the future is and it passing passing Frank Sabaka by uh, and the, along with the other Steve Doris. What are your thoughts on this scene? Yeah, this is this is this is absolutely about Frank desperation. That's what this scene is about. Yeah. Um Herc and Carver uh doing surveillance on frog. Uh, of course, they had the tennis ball, which is a which is a bug in the tennis ball, and you know, of course, following the Sabaka scene, you have Herc says talks about how great technology is, which definitely wasn't a coincidence in terms of how those scenes were set up. Um, so at this point, they're doing they're just doing the surveillance on surveillance on Frog. Uh, we'll see what happens uh, with the tennis ball later on in the episode. Any thoughts on this scene? Uh, we get to Stringer, Brianna, and Donette. Um, they go to uh, Stringer, take some food over to uh, Donette, not Donette's place, Brianna's place. Brianna, of course, she sees, of course, she sees Donette there. She's in the kitchen cooking. Um, Stringer walks in to check in on Donette, not Donette, uh, Brianna, who is, of course, but and rightfully so distraught uh, with the death of D'Angelo. Uh, she doesn't, she just lays on the bed, not lays on the bed, sits on the bed weeping and Stringer, you know, coldly tries to, uh, consoles her. Um, Ildris Elba was brilliant in this scene. I mean, just without, you know, said a couple words, but just his facial expressions. And it, it, I thought he was just, even though the scene wasn't that long, I thought he was just, just tremendous in the scene. Uh, what are your thoughts on this scene? Um, 
Yeah, strict is ruthless. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I, I thought, I thought, you know, it, it, it got, it got exactly what we were supposed to get. We got exactly out of that, out of that scene. I mean, like, if truth be told, those are my favorite scenes in the world because they're so ruthless. But because they're so ruthless, that that's 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 what they that's what they are. So um, so yeah, very very well, very well acted scene, uh, very well crafted scenes. Nick, Ziggy, and the Checkers are at the bar. Um, Nick gives Ziggy uh, gives Ziggy some gives Ziggy the money. Of course, Ziggy. Unbeknownst to Nick, uh, thinks that thinks that he's going to be a father. He's gotten some fake alimony, uh, not alimony, attorney papers from Maui, who played a joke on him. They're playing this. This was this scene was hilarious. They're playing "Love Child" by the Supreme on, on <laughs> in the bar over and over again. Ziggy, of course, it does not would have had had zero chance of picking up on it. He had no Nick. Fig, Nick then figures it out. Uh, calls a number and then of course Maui answers <laughs> with the fake lawyer, <laughs> shyster, 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 and again through the comic relief that was this scene, the underlying the underlying text or the underlying part to me was Nick, not Nick Ziggy again being embarrassed, and that continuously adding up and adding up over the course of these episodes. Because he clearly was embarrassed in front of the whole, in front of the checkers and Delore and the bar and everybody. Um, a funny scene, but again, just piling on the embarrassment of one Ziggy Sabaka. What were your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, like, like, we thought it out last week, and so that that's the only space I'm going to stay with Ziggy from now on. Ziggy's a tragic figure. I, I mean, like. He's a tragic figure. And so like, this is now, now we're on a downhill, uh, now we're on a downhill course to his ultimate tragedy. Um, and so, yup, this, this is another, this is another hurt, but, but instead of the, well, this is another, and so, like, like, like I said, I've I've moved it kind of into in the pure, pure own tragic. Um, so it's it's leading towards something. Yes, yes, it's building. I, you know, I just thought about this. Like, how much does Maui hate Ziggy? Think about all the work he had to do, the fake paternity papers, the fake. The, well, the number was his. That was his cell phone. But he, that, I mean, that was a lot of thought that had to be put into playing Love Child over and over again. You put a lot of thought into the, into that prank. <laughs> I mean, think of the last thing that Ziggy did to him, though. Yeah, he put it. Yeah, they put they're going it. back and forth. Yeah, no, they had no, they they are. They yeah, they're going they're going back and forth. <laughs> that's that's true. Um, Kima and Prez uh, were, of course, are in a quick scene scoping the strip club, which would be again um, will be set up. Uh, what are your thoughts on this quick scene? Yeah, set. <laughs> Daniels and uh, Marla discussing the case. Um, she, of course, plant claims that he, he of course is choosing, you know, tells her how much he loved, he loves working the case. She says that he's not choosing, you know, he's, you know, 
she says that, you know, he's not, this is not, of course, a smart career move. Um, he claims that he's playing Burrell's game by not taking the murders. But, of course, they, this is, again, this is set up, this is some setup as well. Uh, she doesn't like him going down this road of, of, um, of trying to go dig further and further in, of going into this case, even though he's not taking the murders. He's trying, again, we, we talking about putting on the front. He was trying to put on the front as if just as if he wasn't going to go all the way with this case. And of course, she knows him better than that. So she's annoyed by that from that standpoint. What were your thoughts? I think at this point in time, Thinking about this scene, how many times I've seen it, because I've actually thought about this, this whole, this, I've thought about this, this concept a lot. Um, I think he is trying to convince her that he's still playing the game. Right. Yeah. No, I said that. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that she's not buying it though. That's what I'm saying. She wasn't buying it. I don't it. think I don't think he's doing it very convincingly either. So I think it's I think it's half-hearted in that. So we're not we're not disagreeing at all. Right. Um uh I I think that it's I so I think we're both right. I think that the writers are doing a little bit of uh, unraveling it for us in right. terms of not only are we seeing that his argument is having less and less impact, but he's making the same argument no matter right. if the circumstances <laughs> change, right? Like, so all of that shows us he doesn't believe what he's saying and of course she doesn't believe what he's saying either no not at all uh frank and matt um discussed the, the future of the, of the union um now of course it's frank it is uh frank's turn to give up the treasurer's seat uh nat says they go they trade by they trade by cut they trade black and white by depending on um they trade each they go black and white by uh, in terms of that. So whatever, yeah, it's time. It's time for a black. It's, right, it's time for a black. It's time for a black man. You know, that's what I'm trying to say. Uh, to, whatever, to, yeah, 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 to be the treasurer. Yeah, that's how they. That's how they. They, they do. They do terms. They do every every either either every other term or whenever the term is decided. Yeah, I don't know. I just can't remember if the term is one year or two years or more yeah whenever the term is up whenever uh, the term is up yeah. yeah whenever the term is up so it's it's a black man's job turn turn to do frank's the job that frank is doing now which is union treasurer but he wants he says that he wants one more term uh he wants to break that rotation in order to kind of you know get the get the green the green pier and the canal get all that get all that uh situated uh so you know, he basically not begs that, but tries to convince that, hey, just let me, you know, just let me get this situated. Let me get, let me take, let me do this one last thing. And then he calls the, his lobbyist friend, Bruce. That That's how the scene ended. What were your thoughts? Um, 
more hypocrisy by Frank. Uh, so um, we know the real reason he wants to keep the term is because he can't really tell anybody what he's been doing. Right. And so, again, we continue on this guise of he's doing it for everybody else's um, good and, and not, not for his at all. Um, so, yeah, more hypocrisy by Frank. Uh, we see... Ziggy, um, we see Freeman on, um, well, okay, okay, here we go. Kima and, Kima and Perez, they see the girls coming out the club with um, bodyguards. So they, we talked earlier how they were scoping the club. They see uh, Freeman, you know, not Freeman, they see the body, they see the girls coming out the club. With the with the, with the bodyguards uh, as they escort them into uh, into different uh, into different vehicles or into the trucks or uh, you know minivans that they had. Um, what are your thoughts on on this quick scene? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Santa. Um, we go back to the bar. Of course, yeah, Ziggy, of course, is humiliated by, uh, of course, Nick figuring out the joke. We already talked about that. Nick figured out the joke, and Ziggy was humiliated. So we can go on to Freeman. Um, Freeman is staring at the computer. Again, this is this was another quick scene, but this is Freeman doing what he does. He stares at the computer, and he, see, he smiles because he sees something that he likes. We will, of course, find out what that was. This this was uh, this was the equivalent. This. It was this was the epitome of a uh, setup scene, so we'll see we'll we'll touch on that later in terms of why what Freeman uh, likes liking find out what Freeman uh, uh, was smiling at as he's staring at the computer. Um, Kim and Prez are uh, go into the hotel where the girls are staying. Uh, not Kim, Kima. Kima distracts the receptionist as uh, Prez found you know as Prez. Found out which floor they were going up. Finds out that they go. Finds out that they were on the sixth floor. Uh, this will play a major part uh, in a few episodes. So their their work pays off in terms of following the girls. And they again, Kima distracted receptionists so that fret, so that Perez Perez could get some more information about where the girls' location was uh, was at uh, in the hotel. What were your thoughts? Yeah, uh, this this is this is a really good scene, um, kind of uh, breaking down how uh, how this investigative process is going to go, um, and how it how it's going to look a little bit different from the drugs, or from uh, from the Barksdale investigation. We have Freeman, Russell, Bunk, um, back at the uh, back at the detail. 
Freeman has figured out that horse face, the ship, that horse face will be monitoring, uh, looking over. And yeah. Freeman advises Daniels to, uh, advises them, not Daniels, but advises uh, Russell and uh, Bump to kind of keep Daniels at bay in terms of, you know, the discussion about the murders. Um, that, like, they don't want to... I got the sense that eventually Freeman, again, they were going to go to him again about the murders, but that they didn't want to give give away too much information yeah, so. about knowing where Daniel stood about not taking the murders. Um, I love this scene, even though it was quick, because it gave me some more insight to Freeman's character moving forward in later seasons. That's why I love about this scene, about how not so much breaking the rules, but he's not not walking, doesn't always walk that straight and narrow. So that's, that's the part, nope. that's the part that I loved about this scene. Uh, you know, it was, it was, you know, it was a, a quick scene. Um, yeah, Frog, Herc, and Carver. Um, and Nick as well. Yeah, uh, Frog and Nick are discussing the product. Uh, Frog picks up the course of tennis ball with the bug, tosses it, and um, tosses it aside. And the ball, of course, gets run over by a truck, in which, you know, devastates one uh, Ellis Carver, <laughs> who uh, had the had that on his uh, credit card. Yo, know, the the look on his the look on Carver's face at the end of that scene, I feel like over the course of our lives that something has happened, we've had that look like, oh shit. Like that, that was a look of like despair. <laughs> like, yo, like that, that, he played that. He, he played just, even though it was a short, uh, a quick, um, you know, a quick look, he, he played that to a T. Uh, what were your thoughts on this scene? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Carver, not excited about life at all. Not excited about about life at all. Nah, I mean, like it, it, it. I, I think like this is it. Like the main thing that I got out of all this was just like you know they back back to their back to their same same old tricks, um, and that even though. Uh, there were certain advances being made within the unit in terms of like, like being able to uh, figure figure some things out. It is not it in terms of those two. Not 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 the most. Uh, yeah, uh, we're talking about it doesn't work out. Of, yeah, it doesn't work out more. Yeah, time. yeah. In terms of growth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they, they yeah. might not be the best pair. <laughs> no, no. They, might, they might not no. be the best for each other. There was a yeah. song. Um, okay. There was a song in, uh, I forgot, yes, now nah, nah, I remember because the movie was horrible. But that, the movie, the song was probably the best thing about the movie. There was Cop 3, which was horrible. But there was a song at the end of the movie said that says, I keep trying to do the right thing, but I keep doing it the wrong way. And that that's both that's Carver and Herc. Trying to do the right thing, but just doing it the wrong way. Um least least helpful way ever. Yeah, yeah. 
uh, Freeman, uh, Kima and Bunk, and also Russell are discussing a strategy in order to monitor a can that will be moved. Uh, this is, of course, is, will be, it's a setup, setup scene. Um, Nick, Frank, Horseface. Uh, Nick gives Horseface the truck that's, that's being moved. Frank tells Nick, um, Frank has, Frank tells Nick to stay close. Now, this was a scene, this was like, this was like two scenes in one, uh, to be honest with you, because you have Nick giving Horseface the truck that they're monitoring, that of course the, the, the police are, all, are, are on top of. But then the scene breaks off yeah. Frank and Nick having a conversation. And Frank, in that conversation, Frank is like, you know, you haven't been getting a lot of days. Are you good? Um, and Nick is doing everything to say nothing. Basically saying, yeah, yeah, I'm all right, cool. Um, he says, tells Nick, tells Nick to stay close. And that's how that scene, scene ends. What were your thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I, my big thoughts, I feel like Frank is like, feel what's going on with Nick. Um, and uh, I mean, I, I think he can feel for a variety of different reasons, not one being that Frank Shady is all hell too. Um, so, uh, so I, I mean, like, I think a big part of that is he can sense what's going on with Nick. He can, he can see kind of like the path he's going down. Um, and I think to, 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 um, I don't know, to, to Frank's infinite arrogance, I guess he's like, if Nick is in his, with him in his wheelhouse, that somehow he'll be able to keep him at safer. Bay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, at bay, calm down, whatever. Like, uh, like all the different things. And as we know, Frank is actually a big part of the, is, is the problem. No question about it. Yeah. Uh, so it's just, it's interesting. Stringer, Prop Joe at D'Angelo's funeral. Of course, you have D'Angelo has, you know, have, they have the funeral for D'Angelo. Um, and then immediately after, the casket is lowered and everybody, you know, pays their respects in regards to the flowers. You see uh, Prop Joe approach Stringer. Uh, they meet walking and Prop Joe reminds, let Stringer know, hey, um, our product, we have the best product. You have you have the, the, the main real estate. You have the best real estate. Let's make this happen. Um, Prop Joe, Stringer tells Prop Joe, you know, we went through, we took, we took down a lot of crews, took down a lot of heavy crews to get those towers. Prop Joe just, you know, basically saying, you know, forget all, you know, forget all that, you know, street shit. This is about business. Uh, this is about business. And um, Stringer lets uh, Prop Joe know that uh, he will consult Avon about the decision. Uh, that's, that's frankly, that's already been made, to be honest with you. Uh, the way Stringer's, you know, the way the way the the way the 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 way the um, the Barksdales and the way they're struggling for product, 
Um, what were your thoughts on uh, what were your thoughts on this scene? Yeah, um, these are infinitely fascinating scenes because of the the stringer um, Avon dynamic. Um, so, so, uh, so we we gotta look at all these characters and what what we know about them, right? Proposition Joe's called Prop Joe for a reason. Right. Um, Stringer Stringer is who he is. Avon is who he is, right? And so, neither Avon, I mean, neither Stringer nor Prop Joe can just be like, we want to work together, shake hands in front of everybody, right. and it'd be a big round of applause, right? Like, that can't happen. Right. So, both of them need to make the necessary moves that show that they're being, them, they're being who themselves and that this is a partnership of convenience. Um, and so I say that to say, we have outlined 100% with you in that the move has already been made. Like, this is the game. This is the game Stringer's been playing at for pretty much damn near the entire time um, right. that, that, we, that we've known him. Um, but, it, but in order to play the game, both of them know, you got to make very careful, well thought out moves over a period of time. And so um, Stringer has to ask Avon. He has to tell Avon, Prop Joe came at him like this, and he has to anticipate well, let's, Avon's let's, reaction. Let's, let's, let's and wait. then we'll move from there. But so, so I'm just trying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I'm not going any further than that because there's, there's so there's so much more um to be to be seen of their of their relationship but i just wanted to zoom in on that why stringer needed to let avon know that right and to your point earlier in the, in the episode not in the episode but in the season when we talked about his interaction with shamrock with during when avon when the tillman was locked up says be subtle and that this is part of being subtle um in regards yeah. to this yeah. um bruce who's a lobbyist and frank discussed the future of the, of the stevedores frank of course pays bruce off uh for the funding of the of the grain pier and canal that we know are not going to happen um and then basically gets into a uh you know basically you know gets into a discussion with uh, Bruce about how both their families came up, and Bruce is like, Bruce is like, look, man, my my dad was a, a, I think a knife a knife a knife worker or something like that. Uh, uh, so yeah, you see, my great grandpa sold knives, and he worked his way to set us up for you know education and pass that along. I think he, I basically tell you, I think he's basically saying to Frank that like, look, man, you. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much in this, into this. You could have went another way, and you know you're making excuses. Frank is basically saying, you know, what about the Sabaka, the future of the Sabakas, and 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 the union? You know, what is this going to look like for uh, for the Sabakas moving forward? Um, a lot going on in this scene. Uh, 
beyond the payoff that we see, he gives him a shoebox full of money, of course. Um, what were your thoughts on this scene? Yeah, um, yeah, this is this is a fantastic scene, and uh, uh, it's one of those it's one of those key wire scenes where it's just like um, because uh, it because because the show is who the show is. Um, scenes scenes like this are 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 a treasure, honestly. Um, and so it's 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 another one of the scenes where the characters are essentially basically breaking down to the audience what the show is about, what's the central thesis of the show, what's the central thesis of this of this season of this particular arc. And so there's a ton that's going on in this in this scene. Um, just just done fantastically by both actors. Um, and so uh, and so I mean, like essentially. Um, the the argument that Frank is is saying is like you know well what's the, like like I'm giving you all this money for what what's the, what's the point of this right um you know like they like like my peoples won't even have 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 a job and you'll be you'll be eating real good and real nice and life will be great for you and you're basically stealing our money. <laughs> um, uh, there, so there, there's a lot that's being said in that, and so homeboy basically is what he he's saying to him is just like, like, yo, you know, I've been, I've been like, I've been there. My family's been there. We work, we work really hard to get where we're at right now we're seeing Frank as we know Frank is a hypocrite and Frank is justifying his decisions based off of based off of stuff that doesn't actually really matter um and so and so while the guy is like saying like using his best like you know argument like whatever it doesn't matter because this isn't about uh, heritage or anything like that. This is about that he's not getting a discount on this on this money and not getting not getting the best bang for his buck versus everything that he's everything that he's paying paying for. Um, and so uh, the reason why this is like a thesis statement on the show is we talked a lot about systems left, and this is this is the heart of our system our governmental system right now I, I have enough money i pay somebody to convince somebody to make a law for me right what frank is upset is that he doesn't have enough money and that is what essentially the wire is about it is about people who do not have x and go about another way of getting y um and so uh, this is essentially what was going on in that, in that, in this conversation between them. Because yes, that man is taking his money. That's part of the system. Yeah. If you don't have enough cash to play, then whatever cash you bring, we take. We take, and that's yeah. part of the system. Yeah. Um, as yeah. one of our main characters will find out in the season. Um, yeah. And so, yeah. and so, uh, yeah. Yeah. And so. Um, so yeah, Frank's pissed. 
Yeah. Because he doesn't have enough money to make the thing he wants happen. And yet he still does it. He still does all the foul ass shit he does anyway. Anyways. Well, it so all, it's like, so no, it was a lot going on. And again, adding on to your point, like you could have the money, but having the money is not going to guarantee the result. <laughs> like that's it, it gives you a chance to just to be in the game. Doesn't matter, doesn't guarantee that you're going to win the game. Here here's the here's the larger point. Yes, you're one hundred percent right, especially if you don't look like the people who you're paying all this money to. Here's the here's the larger point though. Frank doesn't have enough money. No. That's not enough to get no. done what he wants to have done. It's no. not nearly enough. Compared to what others are, yeah, no. Yep, yeah, exactly. He doesn't have enough money. It's just that simple. He doesn't have enough money. Um, and that's factored into the game, which is why the guy keeps offering other stuff. Um, but that's, that's, what's, that's what's being said in there. And then, so then the question is, why does Frank keep doing the things that he does? Right. If he knows he doesn't have the money. Horseface, Russell, Freeman, Kima, and Bonk. Horseface disappears a can. The detail tracks it on the computer and uh, watches as the truck is being driven down, driven by Sergey. Uh, Russell gives them intel on whether or not the can is dirty. Uh, the can, of course, the can proves to be dirty. Bonk follows the truck to a location that is controlled by the Greeks. Uh, just a brilliant scene for depicting how intricate an investigation go, in investi- investigation is and how many moving pieces there are. I, I, just, I love this scene from that standpoint. What were your thoughts? Yeah, yeah, good scene. Good scene. You, you already said it for, for what it's worth. Avon, I don't really have anything to add. Avon and Stringer. Um, so... Stringer, of course, goes to visit Avon in jail. They discuss, they briefly discuss D'Angelo. Um, well, not briefly. They, they actually discussed, go in detail with D'Angelo. Entire conversation. Yeah, yeah, it was. It, it was. Um, Avon, of course, is continues to be distraught about it. Um, you have Stringer trying to do two things at once. He's trying to get information on whether and on, you know, on the, on the job that was done and also trying to console Avon. So he, he, he it, it was a very fascinating dynamic from that standpoint. Cause he says at one hand, you like, he's like, um, you know, how can you keep a man from doing that to himself? You can't be around him 24 seven. If he going, you know, once he gets that into his head, it, it's going to be done, nothing you can do. And then he says, well, you know, what did the police, what did the what, what did the what did the investigation come up with? And Deanne, of course, Avon says, you know, he just you know said, described it, you know, sat his, you know tied the, the belt around his neck and sat his ass down, in Avon's words. Uh, so you had an interesting dynamic uh, about from that standpoint. And then towards the latter part of the scene, he tells Avon about the prop Joe offer. Um, at first, no, even before Prop Joe, he talked about the Atlanta, the Atlanta Connect in terms of discounting the one to in terms of asking to discount the, the product. 
Avon, of course, refused that. Says, you know, what are we, Kmart? And then he refuses to um, VME refuses to take on take the Prop Joe product uh, in exchange for a tower. That wasn't that he didn't give that a second thought. He gave, matter of fact, he gave it was ironic. He gave none of any. He gave anything that was discussed by about the drugs. He gave didn't give a second thought, which shows you the disconnect in terms of philosophies with Avon and, and, and Stringer in terms of where they're at. So, uh, great scene. Uh, what were your thoughts? Okay. Uh, so, obviously there's a tremendous amount that's going on here. So I gotta, I gotta tread lightly. Yep. This is the wire being the wire that we know, but didn't know it at the time they're ahead of the game. This is essentially the start of season three. This is it right here. This is essentially the start of it right now. And so here's what I want to propose. From this point in time, we look at Stringer Avon as rivals. They are absolutely rivals right now. In the physical form of they're about to fight each other now, which is the okie doke that we got played with for a very long time, when we saw what we saw coming in season three, we thought it was going to go one way, and then it, it didn't go that way. Um, and I think it didn't go this, that – I mean, I know it didn't go that way, of course, but, um, but the seeds were planted in a lot of different ways for us to think it was going to go one way. Um, and so I submit that we didn't calculate how early they were actual rivals. And that's why we didn't see where it was going as early as we needed to see. I know I'm being super vague, but it's so many. I'm going no, to do some heavy, heavy spoilers yeah, in season be. three. Be. Um, so I'm being super vague on this one. Um, but, but for our intents and purposes, as we continue to watch on, I submit their rivals in this moment. So what I submit that's going on in this scene is that Stringer's feeling Avon out as Avon is feeling Stringer out. And I think the other part that makes it even deeper and why we probably couldn't have seen it at the early age that we were is that Avon's coming to that realization himself in this scene. Avon doesn't even know it yet. Stringer knows it. Stringer's very well aware of what he's doing. Avon doesn't know it yet. And I don't think he knows it until Stringer brings up the drugs so immediately after um, or the, 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 the deal with Proposition Joe, so immediately after he's so cavalier about D'Angelo's death. And I think those two things sway Avon in this moment. Um, there's a lot of indications that the act, both of the actors give me. Like, I'm 100% confident that that's what Stringer's doing when Stringer goes so uh what they say about D'Angelo's death he just blah, blah, blah. that's clearly him trying to fill Avon out that's clearly him doing that um Avon Harris has to play much more subtle because like I said at the beginning of the conversation he doesn't know but at the end of the conversation he has an idea he has a significant idea a his thing his assessment of like this is not even a question like what are you even talking about like right now like that's not even a question 
and the Kmart line. I think both of those were, were very much, this is the way I thought we were dealing with things, and now you're dealing with it in a completely different way. Why? Why is that? I think that's the, that's the genesis of it. Um, like I said, Wood Harris, Avon, much more difficult job, much more subtle than Stringer has to be, but that's why I submit. I submit at this point in time, this is the beginning of season three, and that we look at them as rivals, mental rivals at this point. Yeah. Um, one thing I noticed about the scene that I've had noticed in previous viewings was the fact that when – and uh, we've been continuously talking uh, – like, Avon has been in this, like, this funk mentally for, like, the last three episodes. Um, even before D'Angelo's death, uh, when he realized that D'Angelo didn't want nothing to do with him, and when the when he realizes that the, the his Atlanta connect is no good, and the drugs and, and, and the towers are struggling, things of that nature. So he's been in like in a two to three episode funk. When when Stringer asked him that question about the drugs, even before the prop Joe, it con that to me he had a, a curious look on his face. I think that that almost snapped him out of that funk, and it was like okay, he's okay. The Angel dead. Now he went back into to me kingpin chess chess move mode. Like now, like to your point, I, I think I think I don't think and I don't think Stringer realized that. But that snap, maybe Stringer did realize it. But that whatever funk he was in, he was snapped out of that drunk out of that funk with those questions that that, that Stringer asked. Yeah, I mean, like, very similar things. I think. I was giving Stringer more, uh, 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 like he has to be more uh, obvious with it, but they're both being subtle with it right, right here and now. And so like, to your point, I think that kicked Avon's instincts back in to gear of just like, wait, what's going on here? Why did he suggest? Like what, like that's much more of a space he knows how to play, of course, um, very, very well. Um, and so all his old instincts start kicking up in, in that moment. Um, but I also want to say that the reason why this is, these, this is very layered, these performances will be very layered and very nuanced as well. And so it's a credit to the show that we're just kind of coming to thinking about both of these characters in this way when we're 40 and the show's been over for damn near 20 years um and so so i don't want it to ever ever be like either one of us is saying what they're doing is obvious because it's not no it's no, not, it's not at, at all, all. No. um they they are playing they're they, written directed acted all at a superbly high level to pull off what they're doing. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's, the, that's, the, that's the only thing. Even though I feel like we're accurate in our assessment of the show, I definitely don't want to take away from what the show accomplished in terms of how well they're pulling this off and how well they're doing things. No question about it. Um, Bunk and Kima, now this was a very, this was a quick and curious scene. So. Bunk and Kima have a quick discussion 
well, it wasn't even a discussion. Bunk says there were girls in that can and they are still inside. What did you make out of that statement by Bunk? Mm, you got to go with what you thought because I, I don't necessarily I, know if I thought about it that hard. Yeah. I, so you, you just got to say what you said. What you I mean, I, I think that... I don't know if he was putting more emphasis on the case or why they should be working the case. It, it was kind of somewhat confusing. Um, I don't know. I mean, that's what this is one of the scenes that I don't, that it was, it happened so fast. Uh, and I was like, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't you know. That, you know what? Let me, let me not. I just need to see it again. Okay. I mean, it's just, it's just one statement. It, 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 didn't stick, it didn't stick out like that to me, so maybe I just didn't look at it hard enough. Okay. Um, Freeman, Press, Kima, Perlman, and Russell, this are, of course, are discussing the case. Perlman, uh, they give Perlman some insight on the case. They want to go for a wiretap on Frank Sabaka's phone, but Perlman says they don't have enough yet to get to that to get to that part, that level to get, or to get enough to get to a phone tap on his phone, but they're not, of course, they're not far away. Uh, a lot of foreshadowing and a lot of some setup for, uh, in terms of this scene. What were your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, like that, like, this is the one where I just really, really, <laughs> really like this show because it trusts the audience to remember all of the different parts that go into a successful um uh ability to get the wire for for a tap on anything so it trusts us to remember that even though it reset and the reason why it trusts us is because they worked very hard at setting up the rules last season and then also restating some of those rules this season so this is where all the extra work um uh this is where all the extra work comes off um because in lines like this, because they trusted up us, us enough and because they set it up so well, then they can just they can just say that and know and have confidence that we know exactly what they're talking about. Love it. Uh Nick and Amy, uh of course they are in his parents' basement. Um, but he has some good news. He he's he, of course he's making a ton of making a ton of money. And he lets her know that we can obviously we can go out there and get a bigger place, like a two bedroom type apartment. And she, of course, she, in front, she tries to inquire about about the money, and or she bears no, she doesn't even inquire about the money. She's just happy to hear about the place and starts smiling. Um, Nick again, continu a continuance on Nick to our earlier point. You know, really feeling himself at this point. And where he's he's totally enamored by the money and the idea of having real money. Uh, what were your thoughts on this scene? Yeah, I, I think I, I still it's not enamored. It to me it's desperation. Um, he's this this is the sole arc of everything that happens with him, and and. So two things I think are happening. Um, one is, uh, A, he's becoming more like his uncle, Frank, yeah. in terms of 
she doesn't ask him, but he definitely tells her a lot. He definitely tells her a lot. Um, and she, I mean, like, if she does ask, I'm not going to go see him front. Like, she didn't, she didn't ask a question, but he definitely goes into a lot of lying to, to, to answer that question. Um, and so very, very reminiscent of Frank. Um, so that's one. And then I think the second thing is, um, is that, uh, is that um, no matter how, um, no matter how he's feeling about the drug game per se, um, the big thing is that uh, he's only doing this, and he made this very, very clear in his, in his uh, thesis statement of why he doesn't, why it's not worth his time for him to stand out on the corner. Um, is that, so that's why I keep going back to desperation. He's not doing this out of a sense of need or out of a sense of empowerment. Um, he might find that for himself in order so he doesn't feel like what he's doing is as wrong. Um, but uh, he's definitely doing this out of a sense, out of a sense of need. Um, and so, uh, or that sense of desperation. Um, guy got his parents' house. And so, um, I got the basement. Yeah, I got that basement. And so, to me, that that's what's going on right there. Her Carver uh, discuss the destruction of, of the bug. Uh, they also go to Nick Sabaka's uh, parents' place. Her uh, Carver makes a connection that you know this that you know this could be the same Sabaka uh, that they're that they've been looking at as far as uh, with a with a relation to Frank Sabaka. Um, Herc tries to uh, tries to con then convince Carver to come up with a fake, uh, a fake uh, informant, confidential, confidential informant, which will again that is a something to put a put a bookmark next to. Yeah, that 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 yeah. Remember, don't forget about that. Remember that. Uh, what are your I thoughts? Remember that first season. I was like, this is the first time they did that. I was like, oh, yeah, this is when it happened. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what were your thoughts on this scene? So, yeah, set, set up for many years in advance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it was. Um, Balkan Freeman tried to convince uh, Balkan Freeman. Uh, Freeman tries to convince Daniels to throw uh, some more resources at the case as he sees, you know, as he sees the case, you know, moving along. Um, quick scene, but what were your thoughts? Was this where Freeman talks to him? No, that, that that's that. Okay. That's, that's right. yeah, yeah, okay. That. okay, so set up, set up. This is set up, yeah. Uh, Kima watches, uh, Kima is surveilling um, the place where they, they where, where the Greeks pulled in, you know, took the truck, took the stolen truck. And it's, this is at night, and she sees Sergey talking uh, briefly to one prop Joe. Um, what were your thoughts on this quick scene? Yeah, we're just kind of getting a uh, getting a um, more of a of a clear look of uh, how interconnected this all is. It's very quick, but it's very awesome. Yeah, this yeah, this is a this 
because it, it kind of brings the whole thing together. Everything together. It brings, it brings a lot. It brings everything together, and it, it, it gives you some foreshadowing into what this is going to look like for the future. Um, Ziggy, Nat, and the Stevedores try to convince Ziggy that he can take Maui out. Um, they try to convince him of that. <laughs> yeah, they got there. They, they gassed his head up, like, big time. We will see how that pays off uh, in a future episode. Uh, then they get word that one of their own has been hurt. Uh, new Charles, uh, New Charles, of course, he had one of the cans, not cans, but one, some a heavy thing, trunk all on his leg. His leg is completely severed, and Horseface says the epigraph, don't worry, kid, you're still on the clock. Very uh, tough scene to watch. This is ugly um in regards to the, the dangers the dangers of their uh of their job um what were your thoughts on this scene um i try to think if there was a, if there was anything deeper i thought about it um i mean i think i think the thing that gets me pretty much every single time is like no matter like how hard they were going in to each other like they still like when it was when it was when it was um when new charles got hurt like everybody rushed out like everybody to a man i don't know it just it sticks out to me every single time i don't necessarily know if it has anything to do with anything it just sticks out to me every single time but that's it yeah, yeah. Freeman Daniels uh, discusses. There's, there's a larger meaning. I, I I can't see it. Freeman Daniels discusses stolen can. This is when Freeman tries to con- convince tries to convince uh, Daniels to take the murders. He says that those girls, you know, really died in that can. He hey. says he says you should you should not let this pass, or you're going to be wondering how about how you go about living your day to day. So he really he hits him. He hits him with the with not so much a guilt trip, but hits him with with the old you know with the knowledge. Hits him with some old wisdom and really really goes in on 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 Daniels as far as how important this case is and why he should take him uh, should take it. Um, what were your thoughts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is where this is where Freeman shatters Daniels. Uh, uh, illusion um because you you have kima and daniels i'm trying to think if there's anybody else up until this point who are the for real moral centers of the show you had d'angelo but d'angelo's gone now um and so uh and so um i mean you want to say bubbles to a lesser extent there's a lot of roads to travel with bubbles, but absolutely, absolutely. There, there's a lot of roads to go until he becomes the true moral center right, of the right. show. At this point in time, you couldn't say that. No. Um, uh, and so, so, uh, so this is this Freeman, Freeman laid it out. He laid it out essentially. He's like, like those girls died in the can. They really died. And that's what, da- that's what Daniels and that's what Kima stand for beyond pretty much everybody else on this show um, is that 
they want to do a case well because a case should be done well because a for real crime is committed and for real justice needs to be had. Not this politic bullshit, not this petty, this is about me bullshit, but an actual crime is committed and actual people died and an actual uh, suspect is out there and actual police and blah, 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 like all that, all that stuff. Um, and so uh, Freeman attacks him exactly where, where he needs to attack him um, in order to get him over that last hurdle, that last like playing around with the, uh, I'm going to try to make, make a career of this and da, 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 everything like that. This is, this is where Freeman shatters that uh, illusion that Daniels is holding on. And then this is also what Daniels takes control of his destiny. All that other stuff later for it. He wants a major case where he can work really good cases and do this. That's what he wants to do. Right. This is where he owns it. Um, in, in that in in this moment. Um, so yeah. Short yeah. but powerful. No, without without question. So Freeman is probably, like you say, along with Kima, the probably the only character or the only police officer, only police officer. No, I said Daniel. Huh? I said no, Daniels saying, and Kima. No, no, I'm saying, but I'm saying though, Freeman in terms oh, of yeah. in terms of them talking to Daniels, yeah. those are the only two characters that probably that could come at Daniels in that way. And I would say free I, I would say Freeman would be one number one on that list. If you remember back in season one, Freeman was like, Look, I know you want I know you I know you don't want to discuss talk about the money, but this is what it is. So, well, um, and in this season, Bunk says it in this episode. You got the words of wisdom. Bunk, yes. Yeah, Bunk yes. tells him you're the only one that can make him change his mind. Yeah. On this. Yeah. So you had that going on uh, in, in regards to that. Um, you have Nat and Frank. Uh, so they go to New Charles' presum- presumably his wife, because she had a son. Her son was there as well. Yes, that's his wife. Yeah, that's um, she, probably his wife. So they go to her house. This is, of course, the day after, uh, you know, he, the accident. And he hands her a, a, just a boatload of money in an in a, in a envelope, in a yellow envelope. Uh, Nat asks, where does, the, where does the money come from? And Nat and Freeman, not Freeman, and uh, Frank walks away without saying anything. Um, he tells the New Charles story uh, about how, his, how the dude got the name New Charles, because one of the guys previously named was Charles died and died tragically. So this Charles comes up, you know, second Charles comes around, new Charles, and tells Frank that he's going to lo- he's going to lose the leg, and then says, then ask him at the end of the scene, uh, where does the money come from? Yeah. Uh, and then Frank, of course, says nothing, just looks at him and walks away. Uh, what were your thoughts on this scene? Yeah. Yeah, that's what's going on here. Got it. Got it. Until you described it, I was like, oh, now, now I get what's going on. Um, uh, so the story, all that the story's about desperation, about te- the ter- the temporariness of their situation. If if they're not, 
if the docs aren't just going away naturally because of what's going on in public life um, at that time, then they could be killed at any moment. Um, or, uh, or their jobs could be overtaken by machines, right? Like, so it was just this, it's, it's increased desperation, which then gives what we know of Frank, gives him, gives him the ability to continue doing the things that he's doing and even ramp them up in, in certain circumstances. Or at the very least, not look out for his family. Right. So there, there's, a, so there's a lot that's going on. Uh, Rawls and Daniels, you have uh, Rawls and Daniels. Daniels decides to take the murders. Rawls is pleasantly surprised. Um, what are your thoughts on that? On that Rawls is excited and happy. Yes. No, because Rawls thinks he's an idiot at this point in time. So he thinks well, he's no, he no, so, no, he doesn't think he's an idiot. He thinks that Rawls doesn't think he's an idiot because he's, he's turned him down repeatedly and he's already he, – I think he feels like he feels like he's getting over on him, but he is, I don't think he thinks he's an idiot. That, fine, getting over on him. That's 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 fine language. Um, but yeah, but yeah, Ross yeah. is definitely happy that he took the murder. I mean, he's yes, you know, yes, yes. Ross, Ross is excited about life. But to to our point, it's this is this is about Daniel's taking ownership of of uh of his destiny of right. what he wants to do. And so, so while Ross thinks he's getting over on him, um, over on Daniels, Daniels is getting exactly what he wants. What he wants, exactly. Yep. Um, McNulty, Elena, uh, to, be frank, to be honest with you, I don't, they didn't even have to have McNulty in this episode, to be honest with you. This was, the only, this was like at the 55-minute like mark. Um, and he was, this was his only scene that he was in, which was towards the end of the, the episode. So they're watching, they're, they're in the backyard. The sons have this tent set up. They're watching the sons play, joke around, and, and you know, horse play in, in the tent. McNulty then, you know, typical McNulty tries to, you know, tries to, you know, just talks to Atlanta, was talking to Atlanta, then tries to lean in, try to kiss, tries to kiss her. She, of course, backs off backs off, not backs off, but they basically backs, backs away and says, I don't trust you. Um, I can one day hope to, that you, you know, that you are happy. Yes, which is like, he just completely fucked her over. Like she, she's, she said, I can, I, hopefully I get to a point where I one day feel, you know, feel like uh, you will be happy, want, want you to be happy, but I don't trust you. So, and rightfully so. So McNulty's left there as her kids, you know, find a spider and she goes and jokes with them. He's left there with himself, with himself. And of course we will see how that, how that, I think, no, this is the next episode is not the episode where he, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll see how that, how that, how that manifests. There's, there's plenty, there's plenty of self-destructive melting moments coming. Yes, it's still to come, yes. But um, yeah, they did, they, honestly, they did not even have to have McNulty in this episode of Beyond if they were if it was gonna be this you know this late in the in the scene in the episode. Uh he was not needed at all for this particular episode. Um any thoughts on this on that scene? No. Uh, yeah, nothing not, you know. 
mainly some, uh, you know, can be considered a setup or even just, or even just a scene just to get McNulty some burn. Uh, <laughs> Daniels and Marla, they're discussing, um, of course, he tell, he's told her that he's, he's, uh, he's taking the murders. Um, and she says, she had a line, she says, you may love the job. He says, I love the job, but she said, the job does not love you. Yeah. And then she questions, of course, questions his ambition and says, uh, basically says, I'm pra- and I'm paraphrasing this, what happened to that guy that had the ambition? And that scene ends with her flicking out the light, which basically was symbolic for their relationship being over. Yeah, but it's a yeah, it's a wrap. I mean, it's it's, it's you know, wrap it up because yeah. at that yeah, when he you know she didn't want him going back into the case, but him taking those murders was like the proverbial nail in the coffin. So. Um, and that was the final scene of the episode. Uh, MVP and the Shardine Award. Who was your MVP? Um, MVP of the episode is, uh, how do I do this? Is Freeman for Free and Daniels. Yes, I had, I had Freeman as well. I, not, I didn't even think about that. I forgot about the Daniels fast part from that standpoint that's absolutely that should have been the number one reason why he's mvp also i had freeman for his diligence with the the casework with the with the can the computers and um and from that standpoint as well uh but yeah for him free and dead for him you know getting commission dance to, to, to take the merge that was that's without question number one reason why he was the mvp of the episode and the chardine award for best performance I'm going uh, or his uh, lobbyist. Sabaka so and the lobbyist. Okay, okay. I had Stringer. I thought I thought Stringer was. I just liked the, the standpoint of him, basically acting without saying anything. In the yeah. scenes where, in those scenes where, he had to just not say anything. Where it would you know with not with Avon, but in particular, with. Uh, Brianna Barksdale, I thought he was, I mentioned earlier in the episode, I thought he was tremendous in uh, in that particular scene where he had to put on that kind of that deadpan, you know, you know what's going through his mind, or you think you know what's going through his mind, but so I had him as getting the uh, best performance award. And yeah, I already talked about themes, consequences, and payoffs, and we saw, you know, a lot of payoffs with in terms of Sabaka. Uh, we also saw some payoffs from a positive standpoint in terms of the diligence of the casework that they are doing with the surveillance, and you're seeing some of the payoffs with the with Kima and Prez surveilling the girls. We'll see how that goes. Trend that how that goes further. That's it's still more to come with that, um, and again, there's still more to come with that. And in terms of consequences, the consequences that. The job of being one of uh, Stevedore goes, you know, what happened in terms of what happened with New Charles. That's a very, that was a very dangerous job. Uh, still is a dangerous job in in terms of that. Um, so we saw we saw that um, as well. Um, any closing thoughts? Uh, yeah, yeah. Next week episode episode eight duck and cover. 
uh, you know, get, get along further into the investigation. You know, certainly see a lot of stringer and you know, continue on. Now it's, it's all downhill from this standpoint. The investigation's in full gear. Stringer has, you know, took his, made his ascension, you know, as the guy uh, in terms of the Barcelona organization. Avon is, you know, snapped out of his, seemingly out of his funk. And there's certainly some more, some further fireworks to come uh, in these last uh, five episodes of, of season two. That's going to wrap it up for this latest edition of the Wire Remix uh, Real Deal podcast. As always, thanks to one Robert Sapp. I will see you next time, sir. All right. Be healthy. Yep. Be healthy. Stay cool. All right. Later. All right. That's going to wrap it up for this latest edition of the Real Deal podcast, the Wire Remix. This episode will be up in a couple of hours. Have a great rest of your evening. I'll see you next time. Yeah, I'm out.